0: Welcome to The Hive from Tejitos' Sustainable Travel, a podcast for meaningful travel stories. We invite guests who have traveled abroad for more than just leisure travel, be it internships, volunteering, or study abroad, either as solo travelers or as part of a group. We also talk to local communities who receive and host these travelers and measure their impact. This is a podcast chronicling sustainable travel. My name is Wesley Maraere business development executive at Territios Sustainable Travel and your host of The Hive. Today I'm joined by Dawn Booker, a travel curator for women aged 40 and up. She is the founder of Petlight Global and wrote a paper on cultural tourism that I think we're going to kickstart this episode on. Don, thank you very much for making time to come and speak with me.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's kick right off from your master's paper. And talk to me about about that. I think it's a fascinating story and that we were just speaking about right before we started this recording. And so I think we can we can use that as our is our starting point.
1: Absolutely. So um, actually my master's uh, thesis was about representation um, of people of color in communications uh, related to um, uh, development and non-governmental organizations. But that mindset, that idea of how we are represented globally Um, translated into a couple of other papers that I wrote after I graduated and presented at a conference called Black Portraiture, which was put on by NYU and Harvard. And I was invited to speak because I also am a professor um, at Bennett College here in North Carolina in the the States. And so the topic of the paper that I wrote when I was fully engaged with teaching and another full-time job was on uh the commodification of cultural tourism and in that paper i um examined how um culture can be commodified and sold um as as an authentic experience but also from the perspective that the local and indigenous people very often weren't the beneficiaries of that tourism and so i looked at um tourism, and travel, and culture, and the intersection of the two, and how uh, travel could be done in a better way. And so when researching that paper um, and having an, just an ongoing love for global travel, the idea of pack light um, kind of emerged from that, from that experience and from that research. And so I've always been intentional about my approach to travel as a, as a Black woman.
0: I love it. And so in that same vein, you know, where do you stand when it comes to sustainability within, within travel? It's often how I start every episode by just asking my guests what sustainability in travel means to them.
1: So for me, it means you are intentional. Um, I very often tell people I am not a travel agent. I am, I understand uh, culture. I'm a scholar of culture. I teach international media, global communications. I am, I am connected to um, authentic experiences that um, highlight the, the culture that I'm visiting or that I'm visiting along with a group. And so whenever I take a, trip or whenever i host a group we have several orientation sessions that include reading lists that include information about where you're going Um, my etiquette that i encourage is always to um, to treat folks with a level of um, respect and and kindness kindness and reverence the same as you would expect to be treated in your own home and so um, I'm very mindful of sustainability and travel and for me that means um, um, respecting the the land respecting the land not just from a geographical perspective but also from the perspective of the people that live there the people that work there um, the artisans that you meet while you're there the people that serve you so it's it's it's, having a respect for and a, um, um, a way that you approach travel that you're not going to another country to be served but you're actually going to learn about that culture and to exchange and to have some some real um, interactions with with actual um,
0: local people right and you you mentioned a few thought-provoking things in there one is the commodification of of travel and and the experience and i think one of the things that come to mind is when you know you can quickly set up a a village that is usually maybe not there, and you have people do dances for you as you get out of the tourist van. Is is that sort of the thing that you are referring to when you say commodification?
1: Absolutely. So one of the one of the examples that I used in that paper was in South Africa. Um, I believe the village is pronounced "Aledisi" or "Ledisi" village, and I used a a a friend that was actually uh, living in South Africa at the time to help me with some of the, the the research. And so she went and spent the night there and the village was originally owned by the Marriott Company, which obviously means that it's if there's any authenticity, it's been constructed or reconstructed for profit. Um, but when she stayed overnight, Um, she went out and and talked to the folks that were were working and living there and that had performed some of these dances that you speak of. And they were college students. They were not necessarily representative of the the culture or the tribe that they had learned to dance to represent. And very much as in the United States at uh, Disney Epcot, which has these constructed authentic um, uh, regions of the world that s- some of the folks that work there are actually from that region or that country, but for the most part, there's a, a um, performance of identity. And so that is exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I also did some research through TripAdvisor and, and other um, trip review sites where they talk about where travelers to these cultural villages and other reconstructed authentic, um, experiences, how many times they thought they had really stayed in an African village that, you know, had, um, um, you know, everything from a check-in and check-out area to, um, you know the catering and the 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 hospitality company being a global hospitality company and um these performances because people lack the knowledge or understanding about other cultures or the evolution of culture that they believe that that's authentically how people live in that part of the world
0: it's quite it's quite tragic when when that happens and I can't help but think, is this something that is consumer driven? So are travelers going to curators or travel agents or whoever they book through and saying, this is what we want, or is it on on the supply side where we just make assumptions as curators, advisors, and travel agents to say, this is what people would want to see Hence, we're going to stage it. What What do you think about that?
1: I think it's a combination. Um, through my research, I believe it's a combination. I believe that the the reason that the perspective of that paper was commodification is there's money to be made. Um, there's money to be made. You know, you think of it when you go to Hawaii, which you know is part of the United States, but the the expectation is that Hawaiian people, you know, will live out what the traveler believes that an an Italian, excuse me, a Hawaiian person is. And the same is true when they go to Africa, because most Western people have not evolved their idea of what a modern African experience is, Um, then they go to Africa with this expectation or the countries in Africa with this expectation that the African people will will, um, play out their ideas of exoticism or um, this natural sort of um, primitive way that um, their lack of knowledge or understanding about um, a modern day Africa will support. And so when you look at, I did a lot of um, reviews of what some of these companies, Western companies that specialize in um, creating travel experiences um, just to African countries. And so if you look at the images, you see animals, you see jungle, you see um, a very limited idea and you know as uh, uh, Chimamande Adishi uh, talks about this sort of single story of what Africa is and so when I when I hosted the group to South Africa many of them it was their first time in Africa and you know we had uh, a, an experience that combined both um, um, sort of the typical tourist, experience without the expectation of local people to perform their identity but we also you know i made sure that i exposed them to my my dear friend who lives in uh, pretoria who is a doctor and to her friends and to other aspects of african culture and commerce that are very similar to what we experience in other parts of the world
0: Right. And, and I've recently come across the terms or differentiation between traveling with a local and traveling like a local. And it seems you, you're you introducing that group to traveling like a local and traveling with locals as well, integrating them into the lived experiences of, of real people to say they are doctors in, in South Africa, and they live in a nice house, and they have friends whom they hang out with. Um, and... You know, we provide internships uh, for medical students and for pre-vet students in in, in Zimbabwe. And I kid you not, I picked people up at the airport. I mean, it's only happened once, but the student said to me, straight from the airport, so where are the lions? And we're in the capital city of, of Zimbabwe, and we're in Harare. And I laughed it off because I thought it was a joke but turns out now it, it wasn't um, who was really expected to see to see lions um, in in dead in the city it is it is quite fascinating and don you provide curated experiences for black women who are 40 plus why that niche
1: you know i think that for me to be authentic and for the experience, and there's a there's a divide actually. So I'll I'll answer that question for both reasons, for the reason that I initially did it, and the reason that I realized that it was a good choice. So I initially started Pack Light, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Erica Badu song, uh, Bag Lady. Oh yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of where it came from. Is that, you know, when I was 45 years old, um, I decided to go back to college to get my master's degree after having a pretty long career. My daughter was in college at the time. Um, I lived in Paris for two years, got my master's degree. And while I was there, I consistently received um, feedback from my friends and my former colleagues and um college friends, high school friends, about how they, their bucket list, their dream was to visit Paris. And I mean, if you think about the cost of a trip to Paris, as opposed to a cost of the trip to Disney world, it's about the same. And so really that it's, and I also knew that much like myself, most of my friends are educated. Um, They have a desire to travel they have a curiosity, they, their kids are a certain age. And so they've already had this experience of taking care of and making sure that their children have traveled and, you know, making sure that their children have been educated and raised well and supporting and all these things. But then they have these women, my age and, and older, have this, 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 these dreams, these, these desires, these bucket lists, if you'll, um, um, that they're not pursuing. And so, and for a lot of them, it had to do with a certain amount of fear and the baggage that they bring. So initially when I first started, many women would ask me, can I bring my husband? And the answer is always no um you know and it's not because it's a single women's trip no it you literally are honoring that it's not a deficiency you're honoring it and most of the women that travel with us are married i would say 80% are married so it's not that but you're really honoring who you were before you had all these responsibilities and before you kind of set aside what you wanted you know, um, to, to raise or support or for your career, whatever the choices were. And then also um, allowing yourself to be totally unencumbered and travel. Um, and so that was a big part of it. And I have had, you know, mother daughters, but the mother would, is, would be 50 or older, obviously. And the daughter would be maybe in the late 20s or 30s. But the daughter would realize that they were coming on a trip that was organized around um, uh, a woman 40 plus. Now, the couple of times that I have kind of broken my own rule and invited folks that are not quite there yet um, or as I've researched what some other travel companies do, I realize that we travel differently. Um, as a woman over 40 or over 50, and and I've had women in their 70s travel with me, we are, um, we travel very deeply. We're not a mobile first generation. So we're not, you know, our our ability to see things isn't impeded by this. You know, we actually um, have a different experience and there's no shade there but it's different. And it actually logistically is rather difficult to move as a group with one person, you know, constantly doing the selfie thing and, you know, and not being interested in, you know, sustainable travel or culturally um, uh, culturally relevant travel or understanding the history or um, visiting, so in South Africa, you know, we had our last night dinner in uh, Kailisha Township um, in Four Room, uh, which was created by the, um, the, one of the finalists from South African uh, MasterChef. Now, I know this because I did research, so we didn't go to a big, beautiful restaurant where you're going to be able to take selfies and and all of, you know, all of this, and we also didn't go to, like, Um, a lodge that was owned by, you know, white South Africans, um, where the the Black South Africans were merely working there. We went where there was ownership. And so there's a difference in the way we travel. Um, And I think that there's a difference in, so when I, you know, I have a blog and and when I write about um, healthy travel or safe travel, it really is about uh, mitigating loss or mitigating issues. You know, it's not about, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do, you know, you're not able to do this. It's not about fear, but it is about being prepared. Um, We're not staying at hostels. You know, we're not um, getting to a location and figuring it out when we get there. You know, we really are wanting a, a finely curated experience that, and they're willing to pay for it. And so what I also found is that um, when I looked at the demographics, cause I've had six trips so far, um, more than a hundred women travel with me because it's small group travel. And I realized that they're a hundred percent college educated. So that's what, what I've learned so far, about 60 to 70% are, are advanced degrees. And that's not something that I've, that I've, Um, paid attention to in my own marketing. It's just who has decided to go. Now, the types of work that they do range from teachers, social workers, nurses, um, medical doctors, uh, lawyers, television executives. So it runs the gambit, but they value experiences over things. And so they, they are attracted to the, the payment plan where they can split up the payments. Um, I have never had issues with, you know, maybe one person, but really no major issues with that, with the payment plans or whatever. They like having someone with them who has been there before, or who at least has done so much research that they feel confident and comfortable. And so those are my people. And so I'm 50 plus actually. And so, I, it's an authentic experience. It's not me trying to travel with people significantly younger than me and having this turned up experience. You know, it's not me as a younger person trying to attract older you know, people that are older than me and assuming that I know what they want. So it just feels natural and authentic and it's a niche that no one pays attention to um, travel brands, you know, pay attention to white women with the exact same, um, education level, the same income, um, the same demographics, as far as where we are in the U S or, or in other countries. Cause I've had people come with me from other countries on each trip. So these are the only thing that's different is they're black. And so the money's there, the, the desire is there, the, the The vacation time is there. The disposable income is there. There, but that also has been an advantage when I reach out to to hospitality or tourism companies and um and try to talk with them about creating packages for us and opportunities for us because my communications and marketing background, along with my travel um, and understanding of Culture allows me to have these conversations about well, why aren't you targeting us? You know why haven't you considered us to be a viable market now here recently, with some of the the um events in the u s um, many industries that have ignored um, uh, black consumers uh, previously are um, anxious to understand how to market to and to um, take advantage of those dollars. But those dollars have always been there. That desire has always been there. So it is a, it's the right time.
0: Right, awesome. And how, how long do your trips usually last?
1: Um, seven to 10 days. South Africa was 10, um, but most trips are seven or eight days and they're small groups so it's about anywhere our largest group was 20 and our smallest was eight
0: brilliant brilliant and one of the things you know we've we've started talking about why you've chosen the specific demographic of 40 plus and specifically uh black women and in in my line of work i deal mostly with students but sometimes church missions now they are mostly uh, white. uh, And however, the thing that also then worries me is when we've had black students come out, they seem to have a different experience uh, when when they travel and, and I'm based in Zimbabwe, but I am made to understand that when they travel abroad as well, elsewhere, say in Europe or in Latin America, they feel different. And I don't know if this is perceived or real. So talk to me about the Black woman's traveling um, experience. What's that oh, like?
1: Okay, so that's a beautiful question. I love the question because it is true. So, you know, I teach at uh, Black Women's College, uh, Bennett College um, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I've talked about 10 years and I teach international media. And in that class, I very often encourage students who have never traveled, um, you know, to travel. And I'll always have a few students who have studied abroad. And so they'll share with the other students. And what I understand, and again, it lends to why I started Pack Light is that when I would travel by myself places, um, I would be subject to never ending questions, scrutiny, um, um, sort of, always put in a place to justify why or how I got to the same place they are. Um, And the only thing they would see is my skin at that time. Because very often, you know, we know this and I know this that um, Americans in general do not have a travel mentality. We have a vacation mentality But a travel mentality is very different. And so very often when we travel, we have saved up for a very long time or we consider it a trip of a lifetime or a bucket list, I'm finally getting to go this place. And so when a a person who is not black sees you sitting next to them on the plane and they've they've either Come on, they're either traveling for work or for um, some other corporate experience, or um, or it's been that trip of a lifetime, and you're sitting next to them saying, "This is my fourth time, you know, in South Africa. You know, I lived in Paris, or you know, I have this group of black women that travel, and it's different women on each trip. Um, it's mind blowing because it actually goes back to the beginning of our conversation that people have not evolved their idea of what it means to be black in Africa or what it means to be black in the United States. And so very often when I'm asked to plan trips for families or for couples, it's because they don't want to um, go on these larger group trips where they're the only black people there. And so they're constantly, answering questions, constantly justifying their self in the space, representing the entire Black culture. And so when I curate these trips, I create this majority experience. I make sure that I include very exclusive experiences that are private. Um, We typically make sure that, because I didn't do that in Bali on one of our dinners, And it was very frustrating to our entire dinner to have people all through our meal want to know questions that if we ask the same questions, why are you here? You know, where are you from? How much did you pay? Where are you staying? You know, all these questions to justify your existence in a space. When on that particular trip, the first Black woman, that is the president of the American Medical Association was on that trip. You know, uh, a um, executive from the Discovery Network, which is the Travel channel, all of that was on that trip. And so we're talking to people who have saved up for a lifetime. And they're asking us questions as if we don't belong in the space when really we not only belong in the space, you know, this isn't our first trip. You know, this isn't our first experience. And so as Black people traveling, very often you're subject to that and it becomes frustrating. um, It becomes um, exhausting and it takes away from your ability to be in the moment. And that is also another reason why I prefer traveling with people a little bit older because we're clear that why we're in a place. We're not just there to take photos. We're not just there um, to, you know, doing it for the gram or whatever. We're actually there to experience it. And so for me, that aligns as well, but, you know, and the question that I get everywhere we plan a trip, everywhere we go, you know, when I do the orientations, someone will ask me about racism in that country Or they'll ask me about, you know, you know, either they'll have a misguided um, perspective that they love, you know, Black people in this country or that country, or that it's a racist country. And, you know, my typical answer is that I'm not going to allow something that I experience at home to prevent me from seeing some of the most beautiful things in the world. So if I can navigate US racism, if I can navigate the issues that are here, then I certainly can navigate them in Europe or in other countries where there may be issues that we confront. So I'm not going to allow that to stop me from traveling anywhere. And I, I impart that on the people that travel with me that yeah, you might encounter something But you'll also, you know, if you're in China, you'll also see the Great Wall of China. You know, if you're, you know, if you're in Paris, you will be standing under the Eiffel Tower. So these are things that I would never want my life to end without seeing. So, you know, for, for so the black experience with travel, especially as black women, you know, sometimes exoticized, you know, all sorts of things. But when we show up as a group, it's a little more difficult, you know. They're not as bold, you know. One person might answer one question, but you know, when you have a group, you see that we're engaged with one another. Sometimes that detracts from the number of questions or inquiries we get. Now in Paris, um, we were on the um, the bateau-mouche, uh, the the boats that take you down the Seine and when we got on there was 12 of us and a group kept taking photos of us of our group no they were they were asian tourists and they kept taking and so we did the same and they got angry so we i mean and it wasn't it wasn't um uh aggressive or confrontational but i think that that is how you understand that what you're doing is not okay And so, you know, I still have pictures in my phone, you know, that I took, you know, we all kind of did, because they literally stood in front of us and took pictures as if they had asked, as if they had inquired, and they didn't. And um, it was not okay. And this was in 2019. So this wasn't, you know, very long ago. But our group kind of, we were having so much fun. And we said, okay, we're taking pictures now. And so, you know, but they did not like it you know, because there's this idea that um, there's agency in who can take a picture without asking. And I believe that, you know, both, and I, so I tell the women that travel with me, especially when we were in South Africa and in, in Morocco, you know, you have to ask, you have to ask, you do not just take someone's photo. You need to Ask and if they say no, then the answer is no. You know, and if you can't figure out how to ask them in their language, then the answer probably should be no, because you don't have enough relationship with them or haven't invested enough to under to even understand how to ask them if you can take a photo. So I'm very adamant about certain things because I do think, you know, as as American women, we take a certain amount of agency with us. That, you know, we have to make sure we check and that we are not perpetuating or sort of taking on an honorary kind of Western or white um, identity when we travel. We we are Black women and we need to um, enter spaces as such.
0: Right, right. You know, I, I was going to ask you how you deal with certain uncomfortable and awkward situations but i really liked the one on the sign um where where you guys you know gave them a taste of their of their own medicine and i'm sure you have bucket loads of you know similar stories um and i and i like as well that you educate the people who travel with you um and so i wonder you know, a lot of what you've already said falls within sustainable travel, but on the broader scheme, do you, is, do you find that it is a conversation, um, the issue on sustainability um, when, it, when it comes to the people who travel with you?
1: Um, so because of my background, I think I have a broader definition of sustainability than some so i would say that the actual term um sustainability or using that language doesn't necessarily come up but cultural sustainability um cultural competence um you know understanding what's expected um making sure that we 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 partake in local experiences. So to me, sustainability is preserving. And so preserving is, you know, using local artisans. It's sometimes traveling, you know, in in off season so that you have a greater access um, to local people. You know, it is um, extending your visit. So we never do all inclusives. We never do all inclusives. If if the money that I spend is not going to impact the people in the the local people you know who are tolerating our tourism, then I'm not interested. And so so sustainability is not something that I have expressly um, have expressly shared. Um, but I think I've used other terms that um, kind of make it clear that that's the type of travel. And I also think that, um, so from a, from a, like a tourism perspective, and just having a good time, I think that it's important that you kind of ease this language in, I think that I don't want to go so far as to because i'm actually not a big fan of volunteerism i actually don't like it at all um because i think that it is like i said it's this it's an agency thing where you're going into someone else's culture someone else's country or or community and you're deciding that in three days you know you can actually do something that number one they want number two that actually has an impact And number three, that allows you to to establish some cultural capital by being able to tell the world that look what you've done, you've gone to help these people. So that is a question that comes up very often is, well, can we do something to help the local people? And my response is always, we are. We have a tour guide that is local. Um, We will go into markets that are local. Um, We will eat in restaurants that are local, our transportation company will be local, we will take, um, we will make sure that we um, um, understand local cultures or local um, uh, traditions, Um, so I think there's a way to do that, without saying that I'm a sustainable travel um, curator or, or that it's a sustainable, because I think that the term might not translate the way that I would like for it to. So, like I said, it's, for me, it's extended the, or expanded the definition. I don't know. I think that people would think I was talking about volunteerism or sort of kind of charity tour tourism, which I, I really don't like, I don't like it at all.
0: So, right. Right. Now I hear you. And the, the challenge with volunteerism um, is particularly, it's, it's also a misunderstood concept. So taking an 18 year old American, bringing them to Zimbabwe and saying, you know, teach a class of high school kids, I think there's everything wrong with that. Um, however, I want to defend volunteers who go abroad to give away their time. Uh, because we do have surgeons who have a particular specialty that we don't have in in Zimbabwe. And so we have them come and we do their logistics on the ground. Uh, and we have big businesses as well that sponsor a hundred of their employees to come and mentor young youth-led businesses in, in, in Zimbabwe and their businesses, you know, accelerate. So it's also an industry where there's a lot of what what is termed greenwashing as well, yes. where people you know claim to be doing one thing but are in fact not not doing the other thing. And I want to agree with you as well on the use of the word sustainable. I think it masks the little responsible acts that add up to the whole, and it's it's a pity that. We we catch on to buzzwords, and and we sometimes forget that what's more important are the acts that then make up uh, that that one whole. And we're slaves of, of of marketing and marketing lingo as well, so we end up jumping on the on the bandwagon. But I'm happy that you're very resolute in keeping the authenticity of. How you provide a, a service and how you travel yourself, without jumping on the bandwagon of, of using you know new words and 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 having a play at them, um, which as you said may be quite rightly misunderstood by your by your constituency.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that because I want to also because you always have to remember, and this is something that I actually learned. I didn't necessarily, because I tend to look at things intellectually or, you know, culturally responsible. I also want my trips, these are some people, whether I like the term or not, I am taking some people on a trip of a lifetime. I am taking some people on a trip that they've saved up for, for years. And so I don't want to, that doesn't, that doesn't miss me. That idea that it also needs to be fun. Like I do not need to let, you know, to go so far to the sustainability side that they don't have an experience that represents what they expect when they travel. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a delicate, it's a delicate balance. So, you know, um, I know that uh, catering to this demographic, the hotel is important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I want to make sure that folks have a good experience, um, I need to make sure that the accommodations um, allow for that. You know, we can incorporate other parts, but I don't do, like I said, I do not do all-inclusives. I don't. I don't want to ever create an experience where we're being told, you know, don't venture out, you know, stay in the confines of the of the resort. We we have not done that. Actually, we haven't done right. any resorts. Mm. You know, we we we've stayed in villas. Um, we've stayed in riads in in South Africa. Excuse me, in Morocco. Um, now in South Africa, we stayed in two you know, two good, ho- two nice hotels, because I knew that that was the expectation of these folks and the, the sustainability and the, the, the cultural, um, culturally connected experiences extended beyond where they were staying. So I, I, I do want to though, I mean, after talking with you today, I do see ways that I could be more intentional in my language though because I do know that whenever I have the the orientation sessions or you know whenever I am um, kind of informally chatting with folks while they're on the trips I always am clear about my approach and my perspective but I don't really use that in my marketing you know I don't really you know because when other folks, you know, there are a lot of, you know, travel companies that cater to black women. But I know, without doing much research that my approach, my competence around culture and the types of experiences that I curate, they are what separates me. And so I do need to figure out a way to communicate that. Um, So because it's, I'm not, you know, there are some trips where it's all about, you know, having a good time, taking pictures, you know, drinking, all that stuff. And I'm sure people do all of those things on my trips, but they also know that there'll be an itinerary that is curated to, to allow them to um, immerse themselves in the place. To right.
0: Them. And I think the punchline that you've kept through uh, this whole time is being intentional. Um, I think it's it's really, it's it's powerful for me because at the end of the day, I think it matters very little what we call the type of travel. Um, If we're intentional about contributing to the local economy of the place that we are traveling, of interacting, so that we learn something from them and they learn something from us and there's that core learning that happens, I think if we're intentional about those things, that's, that's sustainable on any measure. And yeah, talking about it is, is, a, is, a, different, is a different issue. And though that's, that is when marketing comes, but I think as people who wear two hats or more than two hats, either as travel curators or as travelers ourselves, because we are constantly wearing the different hats, and we have to think about how we travel as well. And if we are uh, intentional about how we travel, I think we will be getting to uh, the, I guess, the promised land for for lack of a better word there. Um, and let's let's speak now of some of the destinations you've taken, travelers, and that you've traveled yourself. And if we pick South Africa, you know, What is the word that comes to mind when you think South Africa?
1: Um, It's actually not necessarily a positive word, but it's a dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I always, so my first time in South Africa, I received a fellowship when I was teaching in, I mean, not teaching, but getting my master's degree in Paris. I received a fellowship to conduct the research that ultimately led to my thesis and to a paper that I had um, published and I stayed there for three months and so I wasn't on vacation and so I was able to really so I have good friends there people that I love you know in South Africa but I see two South Africans I really do I don't I'm not I don't have the rose colored glasses of just seeing how beautiful Cape Town is or how culturally um, cool Johannesburg is. I see it, I've seen all of it. You know, I worked for an NGO for a while, um, for the three months that I was there. And so it's dichotomy, it's it's um, very binary for me. Like there's, there's so much beauty, there's so much um, spirit, there's so much ingenuity, um, and um just the the hosp the hospitality and mainly what i'm speaking of are black south africans um the the dichotomy is that when i'm there when my when my american accent is heard um the last time i was there i was there for almost a month for three and a half weeks because i was hosting the group of 20 but i went early and i stayed later And when I met people there, I was seen as almost this honorary European or, you know, the white South Africans treated me very differently. And I don't, I actually do not like it. Um, And I don't um, It doesn't make me comfortable. But I do think that there's this There are these um, residual long-standing I mean and it hasn't been that long if you look at the U.S. I mean it's been you know a hundred years since the voting rights and almost 200 since the end of slavery but not much different and so there's I don't have this crazy expectation that South Africa would be over it but it actually is very difficult I mean difficult to describe that being said South Africa is my favorite place on earth. So I don't have, I've been to more beautiful places. Mm -hmm. I've been to places that have had better beaches and, you know, not better food, I don't think. But it is my favorite place. It is the place where I felt, you know, my good friend there that is a doctor, I was there at an event that I had to go to, and she stood next to me, and I didn't know her at the time. And I'm crying at this event, and she's asked me what was what was wrong, and I said I just never felt like this anywhere I've ever been, and I hadn't just gotten there, so it wasn't the getting off the plane, kiss the ground. It wasn't that. It was sort of this kind of. I had been there probably about six weeks at that point, and I was staying in the you know in the CBD or um the 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 central the central, you know, right downtown in Cape Town, it just there was something about the way I feel there that I love. so it is my favorite place um, outside of of France. I've been there more than anywhere else, and so I love it, but it's dichotomy because I really struggle with the way that the the residuals of apartheid
0: right yeah no that's true i lived in cape town for years as well and 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 for a bit in in johannesburg and i can confirm what you're saying as well um we i, I actually saw the time that i lived in cape town saw the gap between constantia and Khayelitsha grow mm. um drastically you could you could see it and um, an acquaintance of mine, Johnny. He's he's American and he's a drone pilot and he's done unequal places. Um, I don't know if you've come across it and he's taken his drone up and taken f- photo images and and now he's done it in India. He's done it in Kenya, and he has these drone images that show the the the, the dichotomy that you're you're speaking about. So you're you're spot on. And picking up from there, you know, your favorite place being Paris. What's what's the one thing that comes to mind when you think of Paris and, you know, that just, that just says, hmm, only in Paris? You could be doing, well, you could be grading papers and you think right. of it and you say, hmm, only in Paris.
1: Well, South Africa is my favorite place. Paris is my most visited place. And it's because... I I, um, I teach. I still I teach there, so I'll be going in September. So I teach the school where I received my master's degree. I go back and teach each year uh, a module, and so it is my most visited place, but it's not my favorite place. Um, but I what I love, and I do love Paris. What I love about Paris is the history. I love the beauty. Um, I have, every time I've gone and when I took a group, um, I spent some time with the, the woman that curates the Black Paris tours, and um, which has allowed me to, to situate myself, my history in Paris, in Europe. Um, I love the food. I love the purity of the food. Um, I love... I mean, it's it's something James Baldwin said. It's not that you love the Parisian people or the French people. They just leave you alone. I mean, here I'm constantly like navigating racism like all day, like in some way, some microaggression here. Now I do have them, obviously, I'm not saying obviously in Europe, they are the original colonizers. So I'm not saying that. But for the most part, I was left alone. And so I was able to kind of become so Paris always represents for me the turning point. You know, before then I had worked in corporate America, I had worked, you know, pretty much I had traveled, you know, and I had been to some global destinations, but I wouldn't have considered that that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life until I, so Paris represents that. When I lived there, I traveled all over Europe. I traveled to Morocco for the first time. So Paris represents for me that that possibility of the world because it's the most international city in the world from my perspective. And so, right. and I love it, you know, I love it. I love just the beauty, the food. Yeah. I have friends there. I have, that's another place that I have, you know, there's such a Black Paris community. You know, the largest Juneteenth party I've ever been to was in Paris.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. And so, you know, I, everyone, in fact, hears Morocco and they think Marrakesh. Uh, but I've since met a few Moroccans who say, "No, no, no! Don't even talk to me if you're going to talk about Marrakesh." So now I don't talk about Marrakesh anymore. Um, you've been there. Where? Yeah. Why should people go to Morocco uh, outside so, of Marrakesh?
1: That was that's a, an amazing. So when I another um, reference to understanding. Uh, indigenous, local, um, black culture when we go places. Um, So when we went to, now I had been to Marrakesh before, and so the the trip initially was to Marrakesh. But as I did my research um, and understood the West African Organawan culture and um, and Itzorera, which is on the coast, and is only about two and a half hours from Marrakesh. We spent half our time in Marrakesh, and then half our time on the coast in Essaouira. And we had uh, we went in vi- and we went and visited a Gnawan um, instrumentalist who was a, a famous um, um musician. Um, for the music fest that they have there each year, we had a Ganawan band come to our villa and perform for us. we we used local um we used local people um, uh, local Moroccans to or local Esorarians, I should say, to um, to be our guides and are still connected with them. but I wanted, because, you know Morocco has such a French influence, um, and even an Arabic um, influence, um, I wanted the women to go somewhere and be somewhere that had an African influence. And so we were able to, you know, understand and learn about the the West African culture that highly influenced Esuraria. Um, the dances, the music, um, the food, all of that. And so um, now Casablanca was interesting to me because, you know, we all see the film Casablanca, but Casablanca looks like Detroit. (laughs) You know, it doesn't, you know, when I flew in and out of Casablanca, I was like, okay, there's, you know, Morocco, I mean, Marrakesh makes you feel like, you know, you're in a, you're in a Medina, you're you're actually experiencing something new and different and it's right. there for sure. And, you know, and then for the folks to know that a portion of Game of Thrones was shot right there on the water, you know, that that was a big thing for everybody, mm-hmm. but yeah. So I think that um, getting beyond Marrakesh allowed our group to really have, again, an authentic authentic experience. So we didn't have folks dressed up like musician musicians like they do in Marrakech because they do do that in Marrakech. We met these folks that, you know, that is who they are, that is their culture, you know, this uh, it's a uh, the guy made the instruments. So You know and and was teaching others as apprentices how to make these instruments so that that part of the culture remained
0: right and now we're living through the pandemic which has stopped us all from either traveling or hosting where to next for you dawn
1: um okay so the pandemic was a blessing and a curse right it's a blessing. It was, I'll start with the curse. Couldn't go anywhere. And we were in Morocco. So I'll, I'll send you a link to the, there was a podcast that um, because I had an NPR journalist on that trip and she brought her equipment and while we were gone, the, um, the whole experience kind of blew up. Like when we left, it was, you know, wear a mask, wear gloves. You know, when we came back on the 16th of March, you know, the NBA finals are canceled. You know, the all the flights are being restricted. I mean, the next day after we got home, the borders in Morocco closed and a lot of the borders in the U.S. And so I had other trips planned, other groups that were going out. We were going to Tanzania and then also to Italy. Those trips were canceled. Um, there... There was this idea for me, I don't know if other people felt this way, that travel was kind of dead for a while. And the pandemic felt indefinite to me. It didn't feel like, okay, in a year, you know, and I would laugh when people would say back to normal, because I never felt like we were headed back to normal. I felt like we were headed towards a new experience of normal. Um, But then where it was a blessing, there's all this pent up um, desire to travel. And so my Instagram, uh, direct messages, my Facebook, my email, my text messages on my phone, everybody's going somewhere. And, and I've, I've been blessed to be asked to help a lot of people make these plans. Um, our trips for 2022 because I have not planned any for 21. I don't think it's wise because we just don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, but for 2022, we will go to Peru um, and we will do a train, a train trip. Um, so two nights on the train and then, um, we will spend some time, um, in Sacred Valley. And, um, so we'll, we'll do, um, Arequipa, Cusco and Lima, Um, that's Peru. Um, Each year we have what we consider the retreat and the retreat would be the one trip that has has little or no itinerary. This is for the women that have worked really hard. So one year it was Costa Rica, another year it was Bali, this year it'll be, we're renting a cruise ship um, And um, it has 19 cabins and we will sail through Croatian through the Croatian islands. And um, we will have some, some um, I mean, not much, but we'll probably have a yoga instructor on and, you know, some soft self-help type of things or, or um, self-awareness things, but really, you know, that is the trip that you'll just drop your bags and swim and be fine, you know, because that's a part of Pac Light, always a part of Pack light. Can, can I then, be a
0: photographer on that <laughs> just to be on it?
1: <laughs> it's yeah, that one I can't wait because I know that these trips can feel like work, you know, with these itineraries and all of that. So each each season I plan one that is, you know, get your bag, go to the beach. That's the extent of your and you know we'll do one or two little things, um, and then the next trip is a food and wine of um, a food and wine tour of Amalfi Coast, um, and so we'll we'll be there for about five or six days or excuse me six or six to eight days and we that's a very small group, um, and then the last trip is Tanzania and we'll do the Serengeti and then uh, Zanzibar. And those are the four trips for uh, 2022.
0: Brilliant, that sounds fabulous. Are, are there any spots left that people- uh... I
1: haven't launched them yet. I'm launching them all this month. Okay,
0: and, and where um, can people find them?
1: So um, packlightglobal.com um, or follow me on Instagram. At Pack Light Global. Um, and then uh, there's a Facebook group, uh, Still Fly Women of Color. Um, all of those are, all of those social media platforms are, that's where I typically release the, the trips. I do not mass market, um, they're small, uh, they're small groups, um, they, um, they fill up very fast. Um, and so, you know, typically, if I launch them closer to the end of this month, um, most of them will be full within the the next uh, two or three months. So, and I Harry do— Hurry, folks.
0: Hurry, 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 folks.
1: Yes. <laughs> and I will host a couple of interest um, uh, webinars just to give people high-level itinerary information, information about uh, payment plans and um, expectations as far as um, activity level, because that actually is important for folks when they're 40 plus. And so, yeah, and to get to know who else would be or might be traveling with you. So, um, yeah, I'll be um, launching the trips later this month. But you have a sneak sneak peek. Those are the four trips.
0: Brilliant, and I will sure post the links in the show notes, and you can get them right there. Don, thank you very much for taking the time. I think we've gone over an hour, uh, which is which is always a good sign when that happens. Wesley, and this
1: is a pleasure. This, this has been a pleasure. I I I've so enjoyed listening to some of your other podcasts prior to speaking with you today, and I'm just um, very honored and very grateful that you reached out to me. So thank you so much. I wish you all the best.
0: You've been listening to The Hive from teachers of Sustainable Travel. I hope this episode has inspired you to seek or to continue to explore travel with purpose. Join our community on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. And please do subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time we have a new episode. Tatenda, Thank you.